Hey, before we begin today's show, I know that we're now in the final stretch of the regular season and those playoffs are quickly approaching. And I know I'll be doing some traveling. I'm headed to uh, Los Angeles for a bunch of good games this week between the Clippers and Lakers. And that means when you travel, that means you got to do your full job. Plus, you got to, you know, do your actual traveling. Your bosses don't care about the travel time. They just care about getting there. So that's why when you need some extra energy, you should plan on using five-hour energy to help you stay alert and energized wherever you're headed. Five-hour energy helps you get through your crazy on-the-go life with zero sugar, four calories, and it can be in portable size. It's the perfect pick-me-up for busy, hardworking people. And as, as you know, it now comes in two great extra strength tropical tastes, strawberry banana and tropical burst. They're delicious and they can take you on a tropical on-the-go experience. Try them both and you can go online to shop the number 5hourenergy.com and use the code HOOP, H-O-O-P, to receive a 10% off your first order. That's shop5hourenergy.com and use the code HOOP to receive 10% off your first order. 5-Hour Energy, energy on the go. And speaking of energy, we'd all have a little bit more of it if we took the time to cook the warm, delicious breakfasts that um, I had on Sunday morning. But you can't have every single day because you're not always at home. So you end up with your fair share of sad breakfast, beige, plastic-wrapped, brick-shaped protein bars, day-old donuts, frozen breakfast trays. Not our finest moments. But now that McChicken breakfast sandwiches are at the McDonald's breakfast menu, I don't think you can ever go back to that old life. It's breakfast worth getting up for. It's time to change your life for breakfast. Buttery, crispy, McChicken biscuits and savory sweet chicken McGriddles, freshly prepared and now available nationwide at McDonald's. All 30 NBA cities, actually 29 NBA cities. There's two teams in L.A. Um, that's how you wake up breakfast. And it's going to be there for a limited time. Welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. It is Sunday night as we're recording this. Um, I've got uh, the two Kevins, Kevin Pelton joining us from Seattle, Kevin Arnvis joining us from Los Angeles. In the fall, about a quarter of the way into the season, we do a little thing we call small sample size theater, where we look at some of the early trends and decide whether they are meaningful or not. And now that we are about three quarters of the way into the season, most teams have 20 to 23 games, give or take, left. We do large sample size theater where we take a look at what have been most of the season and decide, um, you know, how would you describe it, Kevin Pelton? Uh, basically make decisions that the teams are making. We have teams are beginning to move on from this season in certain regards and because they think they've got enough data to make decisions. Yeah, I just think it's revisiting some of these storylines. Back then, it was speculative. Will this continue? Now it's, has this continued, and what does this mean, I guess? Right. So Kevin Arnovitz was just recently in Milwaukee doing a piece on the Bucks, and that's where I want to start. Um, so one of the things that I've mentioned on this podcast a handful of times over the last month or so is that the Bucks have numbers that reflect one of the greatest seasons, if not greatest regular seasons in NBA history. And Kevin, I was wondering if you could put some of that, we actually can discuss those numbers and discuss the context at which, because I've, I've said it just in passing, but um, maybe you could put it into some context, what exactly we're talking about here. Yes, I was compiling all these numbers right as they took a 51-point lead um, against, by uh, the way, yes, an Oklahoma City team that was 
on a second night of a back-to-back. Yes, but this is a steady playoff team. And these are competent basketball players. Chris Paul was on the floor. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was on the floor. Um, and it's startling. I mean, point differential, and, and Kevin Pelton can speak more cogently to this, but it has historically been one of the greatest predictors of ultimate success. If you want to know, is a team for real? I mean, it's such an abstract idea, but but hell, if, if you want to know, this is one of the more reliable indicators. They have the highest point differential right now in NBA history. Um, they are 51-8, and eight, or now 52-8. and eight. And it's growing, Yes, by the way. Uh, when you win it's by growing. 40-something, you get to add a full, <laughs> like nearly a full point to that. Um, they are 52-8. and eight. Now, through 59 games, only two, three teams had ever posted better records. I don't know what the 52-8 and eight might have even shrunk that uh, further. Um, and I think what's even most impressive... And Kevin, again, can speak to this. They have a league-leading defense, which got better tonight, because I think they only gave up 86 points to Charlotte. Um, they are three points better per 100 possessions than the number two team. There is more distance between one and two, the Bucks and the Raptors defensively, than there is between well, well, give the, give the let's give the hard Let's give the hard numbers. Well, for, first off, as of this moment, their point differential is 12.7. So that means their average margin of their average, really average in all games, right? Um, on average, yep. even including their losses. Am I right with that, Kevin Pelton? Correct, yep. So they outscore their opposition, even including the losses, by 12.7 points a game. I'm fairly certain that there have been, I think, six or seven teams in history above 10. And all of them but one have made the finals. The team that didn't make the finals was the 2016 Spurs, which won 60 games. And uh, that was the year that the Warriors won 73. So based on that predictor, this is a finals team. Not that that's a breathtaking statement. But, Kevin, um, given the, give the number on the net rating if you have it in front of you. Yeah, I'm looking at the margin of victory list uh, from Basketball Reference here, and they would be the 12th ever at plus 10 or better. There was one of those oh, other okay. teams that did not. Maybe make it was the maybe it was maybe it was 11, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, plus 11 is six. The other team that didn't make the finals, intriguingly, was also the Milwaukee Bucks in '72, the year after they won the championship with the third best margin of victory ever. But that year they ran into the the a team with a better uh, point differential in the the. Uh, the Lakers that year who went on to win the championship. And maybe that's, I think, the stat you're thinking of, which is that those Spurs a couple of years ago lost to the Thunder in the second round, uh, the year that the Warriors also won 73 games. I think those were the only team that didn't make the finals who didn't also play someone else with another plus 10 point differential. I think that might have been the, uh, the, okay. the missing layer in that. Okay, and Arnovitz, uh, the Bucks as of now have a net rating, which is the amount of what they do per 100 possessions of 12.1. So they outscore the other teams by 12 points per 100 possessions. This is roughly a game these days. Um, they have a five-point net rating lead on the Lakers. And th- what you wanted to put in perspective there is the difference between the Bucks and the Lakers is the same difference between the Lakers and the Philadelphia 76ers, who have a 1.9 net rating. And they are 13th. So there's a difference between not only are the Bucks dominating, but as they perform, they are as far apart, uh, far above the number two team as the number two team is ahead of the number 13 team. That's what I think you were going at, Arnavitz, and I'll let you pick the ball back up from there. 
yeah, and, and what I say is, uh, that is absolutely true, too. I was actually uh, kind of trying to shine even light on their defense, which to me is something that's overlooked. Like, I don't think people realize, you know, I don't think anyone conjures up, they think Giannis, they think, you know, the spread floor. I, I don't think people realize what a dominant defense this is. And to the extent that, hey, things gum up in the playoffs and ballet turns into tractor pulls, and as you and I always talk about, Brian, like nothing goes as planned. Like every possession's a fire drill. I think there's a reason that really good and gifted defensive teams uh, have prevailed over, over the years. It's something you can always rely back on. Like defense doesn't slump, per se, in a way that offense can get out Defense of travels, as they often right. say. It yeah, does. so the historical context, you want the historical context on that, Kevin? Yes. So the Bucks are allowing, this was before the Charlotte game, I don't have that in my, my spreadsheet yet, but they were allowing 7.8% fewer points per 100 possessions than league average. If you go back to uh, the ABA-NBA merger, that would be the fifth best defense relative to league average of all time. The 2004 Spurs, who uh, did not make the finals that year, that was the year they lost on that Derek Fisher shot, the .4 shot. The 2008 Celtics and then the Knicks in 93 and 94 are the four defenses. They'd be just ahead of the 2004 Pistons, who did win the championship that year. And let's again put it in perspective of the entire league. So the Bucks give up 101 points per 100 possessions. That's number one, as we talked about, almost number one all time. Number two are the Toronto Raptors, who give up 105 points per 100 possessions. So they are four points better than the Raptors. Let's put this into perspective. The difference between the number one Bucks and the number two Raptors is roughly, within a you know tenth of a point or so, the same distance there is between the Raptors, who are number two, and the Dallas Mavericks, who are 16th. Wow, see, that's um, increased. Like, I had I had old numbers. Literally, you go away for two days, you leave right. Milwaukee for 36 hours, and they become more ridiculously Well, historic. and in fairness, some of these are very tightly gapped, and there's NBA games going on, so please don't hold us to this ex- these exact numbers. But the I think more, this is like Secretariat at the Belmont here, is what, is what we're saying here. We, right. The Bucks aren't just performing brilliantly, but they're performing brilliantly historically, and that's why... You know, right now they've got a, a an outside shot, an outside shot, a real shot at seventy wins. Um, so, Arnovitz, um beyond these numbers, why? Why does this large sample size? What's leading to this? What do they do so well? First and foremost, they do not allow you to shoot anywhere near the rim. It, it's impressive, and, and Pelton can speak more to just how, just how impressive this is. But like they. Just you cannot get a shot within five feet of the basket against these guys. You know, no one thinks of Brook Lopez as a rim protector or, or kind of a, 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 an interior defender, but he's emerged as one of the best in the league, and 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 he's bolstered by Giannis, who is a guy who can who can help on the perimeter and still contest at the rim and almost. A motion and a half. I mean, Brian, you remember the, that like those great Heat defensive games in 2010-11 where they could just be everywhere. I mean, this team is that on just turbocharged. Um, they are really big. They are really long. They are really fast. They are really smart. And just collectively, now they know each other better and they know the system better. Um, and, and it's just something to see in person. Like it, it's just a really, really. You know, it's a different style. I mean, you know, you're, you, my instinct is to say, you know, 2007-8 Celtics had this sort of everywhere at once, flood the 
the ability to both kind of trap and flood the ball side and yet still recover to the weak side, to zone up behind the defense. This is that, but almost like if you replace the Celtics with Terminator athletes. Um, and it's also and it's just, an era it's where impressive. defense is hard to play. The the way the rules are and the way the game is developed, it's just it's hard to be great on defense right now. It's just hard. And, um, you know, they've made the sacrifice, right, Arnovitz, that um, they will allow you to take a three-pointer from the wing or the top of the key. They pretty much will give you that shot. Um, but good luck getting a shot in the restricted area. Good luck getting a shot or an uncontested shot from the corners. They have decided that that's where they're going to defend, and they're so good at it that almost no one's ever been better. Even this three-pointers, you can have three-pointers. And I will say that the Bucks have allowed a couple of the biggest three-point games by a positions this year because of it. In fact, the Denver Nuggets set their team record all-time three-pointers made record against the um, the Bucks, And you say, well, my gosh, you know. And, in fact, there's a couple of teams this year that have put up huge three-point shooting. You say, well, how can that be against Philly. this great defense? Philly. The answer is because they let you do it. They just are gambling. You're not going to be able to successfully do it that often. And the 52-8 and eight record certainly speaks to that. I think some of it also is just math. Like, if you're allowing that few shots at the rim, which they are, and, you know, field goals made – uh, we can do the same thing where they're as far ahead of the next best team, which is Toronto, as Toronto is ahead of league average. But, you know, the other thing is, as good as the three-point shot is relative to long twos, I think some, somewhere, you know, the the message of you got to shoot threes all the time got distorted a little bit, that the, the value of a shot at the rim is still higher than the shot, the value of certainly anything but a corner three, and maybe even that is the floor has gotten better space. And that's that's some of the math that the Bucks are taking advantage of here. Yeah, so um, I think the 538 projections, not that um, that 538's, you know, numbers have any sort of history um, the way that, you know, some of these other numbers do. 538 projects the... Um, the Clippers to, to win the to win the title. They just had another nice win today over the Sixers. Uh, I think the Clippers are the best team in the league. Um, I've, I've mentioned on this podcast before that as I talk to players throughout the league, um, they poo-poo, you know, the Bucks because they think that if you get them in a close game, they can just back off Giannis and and do it. Um, even the other night, um, the the Bucks win by forty-seven against the Thunder, and the viral highlight from the game is Chris Paul daring Giannis to shoot a three and him breaking it. Um, you hear all that, and I can't deny uh, that existence is out there. It's it's kind of like last year when I was asking people, we were expecting an incredibly tight MVP race, and I was asking all these players around the league their opinions, and they were all like, yeah, it's Giannis, forget about Harden, forget about Harden. You know, I don't like the way Harden plays. They were All these players were just totally poo-pooing James Harden. And I couldn't disregard that. Um, I can't disregard what people say about the Bucks, but my God, these numbers just suggest that that's lunacy. That the Bucks should be one of the one of the strongest uh, favorites ever to win a championship. But but you know, Arnovitz, do you buy that reasoning, or should we should we trust these numbers and say that they're headed down this path like so many teams that put up numbers like this before? I mean, look, I, if the criteria is can your best player shoot a three-pointer, I mean, if that is truly the greatest indicator for championship medal, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, count them out. I, I just don't see how 
you know, I, I just I don't have any indication that that is what is the indispensable skill um, in, in in finals basketball. I mean, I, and I love shooting as much as the next person, but I do wonder: Do we think that if the jersey didn't say Milwaukee, that if it said Miami, if it said Los Angeles, if it said Chicago, um, that we'd be having this conversation? I, I just wonder I, because what I see is look. In the evolution of a team that ever became a championship team, there was the moment where they broke their hearts, which I think very much you can define 2019 as a team that was up 2-0, overtime game in Game 3. I mean, they were a couple bounces away from being 3-0 against a, a, a completely embattled, injured Warriors team. And maybe we're having an entirely different conversation. Um, I'm somebody who attributes some of that to randomness. Not that a team choked, but they're just things that happen. But I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the same people who dismissed, you can't win with a jump shot. You can't win with a jump shot. For 25 years, we heard you can't win with a jump shot. Guess what? The Bucks do a lot of things. Jump shooting from their best player happens to be not one of them. And now it's, you can't win unless you have a jump shot. I'm just, I'm just fascinated by, by this great paradox. So, so, I mean, which one is it? Like the guy can jump over three guys. Yeah, he's a 31% three point shooter. It would be better if he were better. But I, I just what what maybe they have a point differential of fourteen point eight, you know? Like well, I just it's it's an interesting logic. Here, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. All these people have said to me, you know, get you know, we get them into a close game at the end of the fourth quarter and they can be had. And what I say is, good luck getting them into a close game. <laughs> right, exactly. Quarter. I mean, I Paul, was that the Moryism, Kevin? That like you know, when when the Heat were losing all those close games, and we'd all remarked. They're not in that many close games. Like it would only be better that if you were five and five in close games, but you were like sixty and twenty overall. If only you had some of those blowouts were closer, then you could have a better close game record, right? Like the, the goal is not to uh, to win close games; it's to avoid close games. Wasn't that the Moryism? Right. That's the measure. That's the measure of greatness. And we'll we'll talk about this a little more with point differential later in the pod. But I mean, I think you know to be fair to the other side. Uh, number one, I. Obviously, the amount we talk about Milwaukee, the market they're in, undoubtedly a factor. But I think it's the fact that, as you said, we haven't seen this from them before. Until we see it, there's always going to be skepticism. There was with the Warriors in 15 until they won the championship. Uh, I think another factor is the history of Mike Budenholzer teams being better in the regular season, the playoffs. You laid this out well in your piece on Friday night, your dispatch from Milwaukee, that, you know, kind of, the more successful they are in the regular season, the more in some ways it actually proves to skeptics that they're just a regular season team and not built for the playoffs. And then the second thing I think that is a legitimate point here, uh, our former colleague John Hollinger, who is now at The Athletic, had an interesting piece a few weeks ago where he laid out many of these same stats about how dominant the Bucks are. But one of the points he, he noted in there was, you know, if you go through that list of the greatest margin of victory teams in NBA history, and I think he expanded his sample a little more, if you go up to about 2010 or so, all those teams were incredibly successful in the playoffs. And again, the only time they lost in the playoffs was when they ran into someone else from that group. Then if you look at the last you know decade or so here, all of a sudden that hasn't necessarily held true, where you've seen that, that historically dominant San Antonio team that lost to Oklahoma City. And that same Oklahoma City team nearly beat Golden State in the next round, who the Warriors did eventually go on to lose to the Cavaliers. And there does seem to be an element where there's a greater disconnect between regular season dominance and playoff dominance in the modern NBA than we've perhaps seen in the past. This podcast is a lot about numbers. And if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. That's absolutely true in the NBA. Most companies don't have a clear picture of their business. 
That's why many of them struggle to grow. NetSuite by Oracle is here to solve that problem. As a business owner, are you really confident you're making the right decisions? Serious entrepreneurs and finance teams run on NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite offers a full picture of your business, everything in one place, finance, inventory, HR, your customers. No more guessing, no more worrying. Run your business with confidence. Go successfully on NetSuite, like Ring, Hint, Bowl and & Branch, and over 19,000 other businesses. 19,000. NetSuite, business grows here. Hey, you can schedule your free product tour right now and receive their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash hoop. Set up your free product tour and get your free guide today at netsuite.com slash hoop. netsuite.com slash hoop. All right, so the next um, one that we wanted to talk about, and this is sort of large sample size theater and small sample size theater, is taking a look at the impact of the two spectacular rookies that we have in the league, uh, John Morant and Zion Williamson. So I want to just look at, and these are going to be um, sort of counting stats, more traditional stats, but um, going to compare them to two of the greatest rookies of the last 20 years. 2003-4, LeBron James rookie year. He wins rookie of the year, averages 20.9 points a game. By the way, in 39.5 minutes, 40 minutes a game. He's you know, playing a huge huge amount of minutes, shot only 42% from the field, did average um, uh, six rebounds, six assists. But an all-time really great rookie season, and it proved to, to set up an all-time great career. Last year, we had one of the most prolific rookie performances um, the league has seen with what Luka Doncic did. Um, he played uh, 32 minutes a game. He averaged 21.2 points, uh, eight rebounds, six assists, shot 43% from the field. Obviously, there are more statistics that you could use, but just to go through uh, basic stats. Um, John Morant, who is the front runner for MVP, he's played 54 games. He's played exactly 30 minutes a game. He's averaged 18 points, um, seven assists a game. Just had a terrific game over the weekend being the Lakers. 27 points and 14 assists, I think it was. Um, 3.4 rebounds a game, one steal a game, shooting, uh, and this is the number that has just blown me away all year, shooting 49% overall from the field. For a, for a rookie to shoot 49% is breathtaking. For a rookie guard to shoot 49%, awesome. Uh, now I want to bring in Zion Williamson. <laughs> who has only played 14 games, okay? And I granted <laughs> it's only 14 games. He has played 29 minutes a game. So out of all these guys we said the fewest minutes per game, I think that's important to point out when giving the per-game totals. 23.4 points a game, 58% from the field, um, 6.8 rebounds, and 2.3 assists. He's shown tremendous ability to, uh, to, to pass the ball. I think that assist number is really going to grow as he, as he goes through. Kevin Pelton, um, you know, in addition to the idea of what we're going to do about rookie of the year here, um, you know, what impact have, have Ja and Zion had? You know, I know we have big sample size and small sample size here, but, um, Ja has obviously been huge for the Grizzlies, put him in playoff position, and Zion is carrying the Pelicans back into playoff position. They're playing the Lakers as we speak, so we don't exactly know that game's going to turn out just yet. We don't. You do, but we don't. 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting aspect of this that you kind of left for the end is that that LeBron rookie season, he joined a Cavaliers team that had tanked to get him, had not a whole lot else around him, even though, uh, who was it, Ricky Davis, who thought that he was coming, LeBron was coming to uh, compliment him and not the other way around. Uh, it lasted for about a month and a half, and then Ricky was yeah. gone. That, that was a very bad team. Luca's Dallas team last year, much improved, gave optimism for that they would do what they have done this season, but not a playoff contender in both of these teams, partially because the, the eighth seed is you know, going to be relatively down for the West or right there in the mix. And I think New Orleans at this point, if they stay healthy, is the favorite. And I think Zion is a huge reason for that. I mean, you know, we just talked about how great that Bucks point net rating is. When Zion Williamson is on the court this season, the Pelicans are outscoring opponents by 13.2 points per 100 possessions, oh. according to NBA.com. So that's better than Milwaukee oh. overall. So <laughs> wow. I look at a stat like that. I look at the fact that Zion is 21st in the entire league in our real plus minus stat, which uh, received some tweaks last week that you know, I think have helped uh, conform to conventional wisdom a little bit. Uh, to me, this rookie of the year race should absolutely not be over, despite the fact that Ja obviously is going to play way more minutes, way more games than Zion can, even yeah, if he Arnav stays healthy the rest of the season. Arnav, it's where are you at on this? Now, I um, I voted for Joel Embiid for Rookie of the Year two years ago when he played 31 games. And I had no regrets about it in the moment. I have no regrets about it now. Um, but this is a, you know, Zion's putting, I mean, the, the numbers are so small here, but I don't want to take anything away from, from Ja, but how do you see this? Uh I mean, I, I'm jaw until further notice, but it's very funny to look at. I just did that um, on Basketball Reference. They allow you to do the player comparison when you can, you know, literally line up two stat lines above and below each other, and so it's it's a really wonderful way. And and wow, the jaw stuff is just beautiful. And and I mean, as you said, to have you know a guy, a guard, a rookie guard shooting 52 percent on two pointers is is just unheard of. Uh, and yet, I mean. If Zion has another good game or two, he might double John Morant's win shares for 48. So, uh, in other words, he might be on a per-game basis by the way, he's, he's having a twice huge, as effective. He's having a huge game tonight as we speak, right. by the way. I mean, um, so but I actually, it's the, what, I, I mean, I, to figure out where I am, I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask Pelton is, it's typically been understood that as heralded as a rookie is, and as big of a name as he is, and as good as he's going to be, that... The general perception has always been, as good as those guys are, they don't help a team win basketball games in their first season. Whether LeBron because they always... I mean, generally... Right. It, I mean, he, he had some effect. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they went from 17 wins to, I think, 30, 35. So he helped them a little bit, but he certainly didn't take them into the playoffs. Right. Exactly. And, and Pelton, I'm right in that, that when you really kind of really dig into the numbers and you look at advanced stuff, that... Typically, rookies rarely prove themselves to be much better, even the really good ones, um, in terms of sort of win contribution. And I'm wondering how do there's always a couple of exceptions. How are Ja and Zion kind of in that? Is that aphorism holding here? No, it, it's not. I mean, <laughs> you know, in, certainly in this era where guys you know are coming out usually after one year, the top prospects. Ja played two years because he it took him a while to kind of ascend to that level as a prospect. But, uh, yeah, I think what makes Jaws' performance the more impressive is the context you guys have already talked about. Not only do young players tend to struggle, but particularly young point guards take a really long time to, you know, be able to contribute to winning basketball. And Jaw has, although I think, 
you know, he maybe is getting a little bit too much credit for the Grizzlies' surge. A lot of the success they had when they went on that run in uh, January and early February was really driven by their bench units. So, you know, it's not that he's a bystander. He's certainly been a big factor in it and, uh, you know, kind of creating a a more positive culture, creating belief that this can be a competitive team. But, uh, you know, I think he, his performance is more, like, impressive in the context of rookies. Zion's performance is impressive in the context of anybody. <laughs> exactly right. That's, that's, I, I, I mean, that's I couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, I've had to say this before, but it's no offense to Malcolm Brogdon. But one of the reasons why I gave the vote to Joel Embiid, I just felt he was the best rookie. I just, I mean, I, I felt historically I would feel strong about it, and I do. You know, Brogdon, while he was a quality player, he it wasn't like this choice. This this choice is is a lot more complex. You know what's um, interesting? This choice, um, Brian. Do you know what I think? A lot of us are going to fall back on because it's going to be such a difficult choice. Who gets the eight seed? Yep. Right. Like Agreed. in some ways, this is kind of an interesting. We've never really had this this test, right? Like here we are. We're going to debate it in the same way that you know, sort of the NB thing was, which is. Fewer games and maybe greater per game production versus sort of is that a, a, is a season that a of fair consistent excellence. Tiebreaker? Is that a fair tiebreaker? No, I'm saying there is no fair tiebreaker. What I'm saying is there is no fair tiebreaker. So we're gonna. I bet there are a lot of voters that are going to rely. Like in other words, it's it's a, it's Sophie's choice, right? You can't give one of these guys an award that they rightly deserve. So, well, how do I determine it? You know, we can philosophically, I like that, is it, is, as it is you used that year per game, or as I used that year, it's a across a season of excellence. Not who's the best rookie, but who put together the best body of work as a rookie. And by the way, I don't think there's a correct answer to that question. That's what I kind of love about these debates. But I think rarely are you given this sort of interesting horse race where, all right, each guy is arguably already the best player on, the, on his team. So how do we do it? Well, who can... And I don't know if that's true across the board. I mean, Kevin, is that true? Like, is it fair to say that these are the best guys on their respective teams? I think there's, it's there's a reasonable case to be made for it. I mean, obviously, you know, there's an, an all-star in Zion's team, wow. Brandon Ingram, and Brandon you know, the Grizzlies have had a deep roster. Ingram is pretty uh, damn good, and Holiday's a great player. Yeah, I mean, maybe the solution, by the way, is that we should award both of these guys Rookie of the Year's at, Rookie of the Year, and then looking at next year's draft class, maybe just not award one next year. Well, how about this year's draft class? Because uh, you know, that's what, that's uh, what I mean. Like, <laughs> I mean, third pick was R.J. Barrett. He's been okay. Uh, uh, fourth pick Man. was DeAndre Hunter. Hasn't made that much of a difference. Darius Garland, fifth. Had a couple of moments, but not special. Uh, Jared Culver has been better the last six or eight weeks, but not great. Kobe White has had a great last two weeks, but had a complete lull in the middle. I mean, I could go on and on. There's, there's, I mean, with the exception of, you know, uh, Tyler Hero has been good for the Heat, but is seriously hurt and is miss, gonna miss a bunch of the season. Um, Matisse Steibel obviously has a, promising uh, future grant williams has a promising future but there's just there's just there's not you know kevin porter is an interesting player but there's just there's no there's there's just no i mean who's going to finish third in rookie of the year you know that'll be yeah, you can make a case be, that it should be terrence davis who went undrafted should be third in rookie of the year buddy i, I like uh, jaws teammate brandon point. clark who's out right now and, and that injury has really hurt right. the That's brandon true. clark injury That's true. yeah 
Um, all right, so uh, uh, Kevin was just talking about the uh, – Kevin, of course, Kevin. So we got two Kevins here. Arnold was just talking about the eighth, um, the eighth seed in the West, which is going to be one of the interesting things we have uh, going uh, down the stretch here. Um, Pelton, you mentioned that one of the large sample size theater things that you've been interested in is, is looking at the um, – the point difference. We talked earlier about the point differential of the Bucks being historic, but how when you look at point differential, it completely changes your viewpoint of the race for the eighth seed. So, tell us what you mean by that. Well, I just meant the entire Western Conference playoffs team. Oh, the entire Western the eighth Conference. seed is is relatively close here. Memphis has dropped off lately. That they've actually, you know, they they in Portland are at the bottom of this group. Phoenix is surprisingly strong, but New Orleans is atop that eighth seed. Uh, group and I think we all expect that with their favorable schedule, as long as they stay healthy, they they've got the inside track on that right now, uh, despite being a couple games back of Memphis. But if you look, even you know the Lakers are atop in in record and in point differential, but after that, there's a pretty big disconnect. Uh, the Clippers are second at plus six point two points per game, but Dallas is tied with them for second in point differential in the West. Houston is fourth. Denver drops all the way to fifth. Utah is sixth. And Oklahoma City, with that big loss that we talked about at Milwaukee last Friday, is now a fairly distant seventh in the conference in, in point differential. And that doesn't really kind of match up, I think, with the fact that, you know, they're right now in the mix for getting a top five seed in the West. So what, what is that? What is that? Uh, how, how does that form your opinion on, um, on how the West is looking? I mean, so Kevin, I have a question, and I'm, I'm asking, I'm, I'm answering every question with a question to Kevin. Um, I like you. I, I, I mean, I've always existed in a world where point differential tells us a lot, and, and yet a team like the Clippers, to me, is one of the greatest riddles. Like, do I look at their point differential? Do I look at their point differential? Do I do I create small size theater from the large size theater? Is it if I want to know if the question being posed at the Oracle is how good are the Los Angeles Clippers? Do you look at the full body of work? Do you only take point differential for the kind of sound Kawhi a little games? bit like Lawrence Tanter, the uh, Lakers? Uh, oh, isn't he? Uh, by the way, like, what, what an institution! What a, what a national treasure! We should they should just clone Lawrence Tanter for every sporting venue in the world. And he sounds the exactly the same now as he did twenty years ago when I first. Oh, it's fantastic! Me... All the uh, you know, it's just like there's that guy, the gravitas. It's amazing. All right. Now so the best part, really, really, no, really, the best part is when the Laker girls come out and perform. Yep. They go through their whole routine. Laker girls are you know. You know, an institution onto themselves, and they finish their routine, right? Everybody is, you know, reacting to it. And he just gets on the mic and says, "Laker girls." That's all he says. And I think it's, uh, I think it's classic. All right, go ahead, Kevin. Arnold. So, 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 my question to you, Pelton, is this: If a person wants to know, if they come to you and say, "I want to know how to handicap the Los Angeles Clippers going into the playoffs as of today," like I want, I, I need today's information. Are you telling them to look at a the full season, b only since the Reggie and Marcus Morris acquisition. See, only the Paul George Kawhi Leonard games where they both play. Like, like, how do we even do? I do I say they're worse than Dallas because oh, look at Dallas's differential. Do I say oh, like, what am I looking like? What do we? I just like the Clippers are the most interesting question here because I'm with each passing year and as load management becomes more prevalent as playoff pictures clear up. I mean, we all know who the eight teams are going to be in the East. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like. How do I determine, like, how, is this, is this, I guess, is this stat less reliable than it used to be? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that was the point that we were just making. And I think with the Clippers, the answer is probably all of the above. Maybe not the Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, because of the fact that that's such a small sample size that there's going to be a lot of noise in it. But I certainly think that looking at the Kawhi, you know, Paul George games where the both of those guys are on the court is a reasonable thing to do with this team. And it's not like they're not a team that I'm looking at is the point differential is a negative here. In fact, you know, they're slightly better in terms of point differential uh, because of the fact that they're locked in this battle for second with the Denver Nuggets. And Denver is a fairly distant fifth in the point differential standings. Uh, Brian mentioned earlier that the, you know, the 538 model, they, they're doing an interesting things with their projections. Most of the statistical projections that are out there is just like you take how a team has performed, looking usually at their point differential and the strength of schedule, and then apply that forward. If that's the team, assuming that's the level of team we can expect, maybe there's, you know, you incorporate preseason expectations as well. 538 is doing something totally different where they're looking at the ratings of the players you have and who they expect you to have when you're at full strength and who you have now and using that for their projections. And that's where it's interesting that they still have them as the favorite, despite the fact that, you know, is perhaps the number two or three seed in the West, they're going to have a much tougher road to the finals than, you know, the Lakers in the West and let alone Milwaukee in the East, where they've got a much clearer path to the finals than whoever comes out of the West. So I think that's, you know, an interesting testament to the fact that, uh, you know, I've had them is my favorite to win the championship from day one. I, I haven't really swayed from that, and I, I don't think I'm changing that now. What, what, what would you need to sway from it? I'm just curious. I would need to see them struggle when they're at full strength. Like, the fact that they're having some of these, you know, down weeks during the regular season where guys are in and out of the lineup, that doesn't worry me at all because we've seen that, we've fretted about that with a lot of teams who have ended up winning the championship. Including the Raptors last year. Yeah. Sure, but the Raptors were great without Kawhi. They were literally great without Kawhi. I mean, that, that's the weird thing is the question about them in the regular season is, wait, can Kawhi figure into this system with the rest of these guys? Well, I think, I so think well we, were worried about, we were worried about whether Kawhi was going to be a difference-making player because it was hard to tell during the regular season. Uh, he was. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? What do you think about that Mavericks? Uh, does that portend the Mavericks maybe being better than their record? You know, they've had a bunch of injuries this year. Um, Luca's been down twice. Porzingis uh, down. I mean, does that tell us that maybe Dallas is slightly undervalued? Do you do you buy that, or is their, their matchup going to be so tough that it may not matter? I think we're sleeping on them a little bit, especially that they are now only, I think, a half game out of six. They might be able to climb out of that, that seven spot. Uh, I guess it doesn't, until we know where the Clippers are, it's unclear whether you want to be six or seven. But, uh, the interesting thing is that's like almost entirely driven by their lack of success in close games this season. They're five and 14 this year in games decided by five points or fewer. That's the most games below 500 wow. of any team in the league. And it's surprising because you wouldn't think a team with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis should be struggling in those kind of half-court situations, but yet they have, which, you know, maybe maybe some random noise or maybe something that is concerning when you get in a half-court game in the playoffs. Now for something a little bit more personal than uh, large sample size theater. Uh, everyone has performance issues at some point. If you want to avoid it, get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance to another level. You know what I'm talking about. 
They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. They're chewable, so they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And this stuff is cheaper than those other two, so this is a no-brainer. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician consultation is free, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. So here's a good deal, since this is probably the first time you're hearing about this. You go to bluechew.com, and you get your first order free. First order free when you use the promo code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Just pay the $5 shipping. That's bluechew, B-L-U-E, chew.com, promo code HOOP. All right, well, the last topic I wanted to talk about here was um, about the Houston Rockets. It's been a popular topic on this podcast, but I can't help it. And God, did they entertain me on Saturday night in Boston. Um, you know, I watch Russell Westbrook, and I'm inspired. I'm inspired that we can all change in our lives. That, you know, <laughs> the things that are that are our worst qualities, we can overcome them because – you know, it just really kind of drove me wild the last couple of years watching Russ his efficiency plunge and these take these terrible shots and and um, stall the offense and and now you watch him and he's turned over a new leaf in this system and he just relentlessly attacks the basket. He he's so much stronger than just about any guard he goes up against that he just bullies the ball in the post, and because of the alignment, the other team often doesn't have a shot blocker. So, okay, if you're going to put a seven-footer on him like Rudy Gobert, he'll he'll beat you with speed. If you're going to try to guard him in switching setups like the Celtics did, he's just going to bully you into the into the paint. And the other thing that has really blown me away is how often the Rockets look like Russ's team. Um and it's not that Harden isn't still putting up good numbers or still having possessions where he's got his hand on the on the wheel. It's just that this was so overwhelmingly a team built around one player, maybe more overwhelmingly in terms of style than just about I've ever seen. And now Westbrook is such a driver of everything that they do, and Harden is only a bit player for huge swaths of the game. It's really amazing that they've changed in the midst of this. So, Kevin Arnovitz, let me ask you this. How many more games do we need to see the Rockets play like this before we can say this is something that's really relevant? Because we're now going on a month, a month plus, where they have really been one of the best, if not the best team in the league, other than the Bucks. And I'm biased because I, I, I tend to be an adherent. Uh, a, I'm a lover of small ball and think centers are mercenaries that are useful in various contexts, but not always. And two, um, I'm a Robert Covington fan. So, so there's, there's, and also I, I just like, there's a, like, I think some of the, you know, Kevin Pelton once famously wrote a piece saying the best rim protector in the league was Draymond Green. And this was a few years ago and he was right. Even though the guy's six five, like, I think this notion that you have to look like Robert Parrish to be a rim protector is nonsense. And I think speed is as important in protecting the rim sometimes as verticality. Um, I would, I'd be curious. Maybe I'm off there, but... Uh, I think you're I mean, somewhat off, yeah. but I, I understand the point you're driving. Oh, no, no, look, if you're Rudy Gobert, I get it. But, like, not everybody's Rudy Gobert. And, and I, you know... Um, but but I, I think that... I think what Russ is so benefiting from is space on the floor. Right? I mean, this is not a guy who's ever going to play pick and roll with Clint Capella. Yeah, it's just not what Russ's game is. He's a guy who can get to spots quickly. The best spot has always been the rim. I mean, I think the reason often, you know, Russ pulls up from 17 in the last several years is 
you know, there's not a lot of runway in a, in a, in a system, in a, in a lineup that, that can be pretty clogged or in a lane that can be pretty crowded. And I just think that, you know, space, it, it's funny. We, we don't, Russ is not a long distance shooter. And, and so we don't, we think of, oh, spacing offense. Well, it's not going to really help that guy. He doesn't shoot, but like opening up room on the floor and just clearing it of, of bigger bodies uh, with smaller ones that can stretch. It just creates seams for a guy who still has really impressive speed in the half court uh, or even in an early offense situation. So I, I'm just, uh, I mean, look, are they as good as they are right this moment beating everybody? No. But I, I think that this is an experiment that is working. Famous last words. They might come up against a very big team that just punishes them. And I'd be curious to hear, you know, what you guys think or, or sort of the, who are, who are the good Houston and bad Houston matchups? But, like, you know, I know the Clippers don't want to see any part of that team in the second round, you know, or, or certainly the first round. You know, it's, it's they're going to be a tough out uh, because they present unique problems. Well, the, when I watched them play against Boston on Saturday, which it was just really – I mean, they were down by 17, I think, uh, in the first half, and then they just really kind of dominated the second half. There was a miracle shot. Not the shot, but the way they got the shot. Boston did to get to overtime. But um, one of the things that Pelton that is, you know, I, I think that their issue is going to be rebounding. That's one of the things I've talked about is, boy, how are they going to rebound? But two things that have become clear to me the more I've watched them play. Number one, even though they don't have height, boy, do they have physical bruising guys. So, of course, we know Westbrook is a physical bruising guy. P.J. Tucker is one of the most bruising guys in the league. But then you watch them play, and you see, you know, Eric Gordon, when he's healthy, is a is a you know a bowling ball in there. Um, Covington is is a rough player, and even Harden. Um, Harden is very strong. It's one of his great attributes and why he's able to get to the line so often because he gets leverage and he can out-muscle people. Um, and when they fight and and attack the glass, they just are more physical. I wonder in a playoff setting if they can be out-physical than their opponents when everybody's physical in the playoffs. But, I, I mean, I'm, I'm watching this with more wonder and more wonder and, and not just um, ignoring it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, to what you're saying, Brad Stevens had a quote after the first time they played the Rockets a couple weeks ago, right before the All-Star break, another game that they lost, uh, that Zach Lowe, our buddy, has mentioned a few times on the low post, that it's hard to post up linebackers. And that's what Houston has. They've compensated for physical, you know, sheer height and length with a lot of strength and that becomes really paramount in a switching defense and I think does compensate a little bit. Now, you know, one of the interesting things I wrote about the Rockets in this experiment right coming out of the All-Star break and at that point they had actually defensive rebounded quite well with the small lineup. That has changed in the last couple of weeks. They are now really struggling on the defensive glass. It'll be interesting to see how much more that, uh, you know, that becomes a factor in the playoffs. Uh, was just running around, playing around with some numbers, and it does seem like defensive rebounding becomes more valuable in the playoffs, but it's not necessarily a huge factor, you know, when you look at kind of all, everything that goes into success in the playoffs. And I, I, th- I think your last point is a really interesting one that I'm, I'm curious to hear Arnovitz's thoughts on in terms of matchups, because, or, you know, you mentioned the Clippers not wanting to see them. Uh, I think one thing that people think is, oh, you just go small against this team and then you negate their advantage. But to some extent, Houston's going to be better off at playing that small style most of the time than you are because, A, they're not paying any money to centers now, 
and B, they've been playing this way for a long period of time, whereas you're going to be trying to adapt to it on the fly in the playoffs. So I think that, you know, if you're adjusting to them, D'Antoni's probably okay with that. Well, you know what's harder to, to deal with than a linebacker in a post-up is a defensive lineman. Again, the Lakers <laughs> got two and the Lakers got two of them. This, this is true. Um, so uh, I, I, you know, I know that the Rockets beat the Lakers. It was sh- the second game after the Kobe um, uh, tragedy. I don't know how much weight to put in that game. I don't know where the Lakers' headspace was. I think it was the second game after. Um, I don't know, maybe it was the third. But um, uh, I think that's a line. I think that's a team that they would that they would have they would struggle with. But you know, the, everybody would struggle with the Lakers pretty much. I mean, they're second best team in the league by the numbers. Although I think the Clippers are more formidable. But Arnovitz, um, um what matchups do you do you think favor Houston or go against them? I, you know, you bring up a, a good a, a point, and I, I mean, Pelton, I'm, I'm referring to um, in the sense that there's this. I think there is this instinct to say, oh, phew, they're going small, now we can get our big guy off the floor. But it, it, I, I think that, I mean, that's going to be a tough proposition. And, and I think this season, more than any other, we're going to see that who blinks first. You know, who dictates the matchup? Who decides that, you know, even though we have an advantage up there, the, the pace of the game is determining uh, that that foot speed is going to be an asset here and and we can't afford to have this guy on the floor. I mean, this is the Capella thing, right? I mean, um, I mean, people forget is as, as, as good of a story as he'd been in Houston. He was not on the floor for key moments of the key games of the Warriors series both years. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, if I'm Houston, I mean, the Lakers, I, I, I think, would bother me. I mean, I think um, any team where they can plug that space quickly, that can beat you up without sacrificing range. I mean, the Nuggets are a really interesting question. I mean, Jokic is going to be a fascinating person to watch this offseason. I mean, this postseason because you know there are going to be nights where you watch four games or, or or two games, and he might be the only true five on the floor for you know long periods. And and there are going to be times where his is brilliant as he is, you know, that lack of speed might hurt. The Nuggets, yet I can't imagine them functioning at full capacity without him. And, and I, I just think that this size question, especially with given what Houston's doing, the Clippers are kind of another team. Like, I, I think there's a school of thought that says, you know, is Trez really a five? Yeah, we got a bunch of six, eight guys. Now we have Morris. I mean, we can make do, but they're going to be enough teams, I think, that have to face this, this mortal question, especially as you say, you know, Davis, is a guy who, you're, he, he's not a hypothetical center. He's a guy who, in the modern sense, is a center. And I just think that's going to be the most interesting thing matchup-wise in the playoffs, especially with this Houston thing, with the Clippers, is, is you know, what can we get away with? And, and where are we actually stronger? Um, all right, well, thank you guys for um, uh, delving into this. We always enjoy it. Um, more to come and we'll uh, be uh, talking more later in the week on the Hoop Collective Podcast thanks and have a great week everybody Mm -hmm.